This is episode five of Is This Really Better Than Nothing Would Be? I'm your host, Patrick. Join in studio with my co-host, Kelly. Hey, everyone. So we've been off for, I guess, about a month now. <laughs> it feels like about a month, but I think it's only been about three weeks. We missed the show. Kelly was out on assignment tracking down a suspicious... um. National Enquirer magazine that ended up in her mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> okay. No, she wasn't. <laughs> but she really was. <laughs> but, um, you know, a good thing about not doing this every single day or every single week is that we don't have to cover every single little topic that comes up. So we don't have to talk today about Jesse Smollett or... um. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to talk about what's the the latest thing that's being called anti-semitic um that just happened yeah it did just happen but we're not going to talk about no. it anyway <laughs> <laughs> i don't think we're um you know neither of us are jewish so i don't think it's for us to say you know whether or not either of those comments that obviously everyone knows what we're talking about right now i'm sure but I don't think it's for us to say whether or not we feel offended by anything that Congresswoman Elon Omar said. Um, and so we're not going to touch that. I think we're going to leave that one alone. But we do have a bunch of things that have happened in the past three weeks that we that are obviously very important. We're going to talk about the Cohen testimony. That was pretty interesting. Um, we're... Probably a lot of this is we're just going to talk about all of the candidates that have declared for the Democratic presidential candidacy at this point. Man, it's a big field. It's a real big field. Um, but first, I think I think what we should talk about is, you know, just to set the stage for maybe how the rest of this is all going to play out, is the latest jobs report that just came out and. I think I'm correct in saying that it's the weakest that Trump has had since taking office. Yeah, I heard about that. I don't think it I don't think one jobs report, especially a jobs report in February is worth blaming on the president as a whole. Um you know, there was a government shutdown I'm sure regionally there were some snowstorms and all of that stuff that hampered productivity in different areas of the country. So a weak jobs report, it happens. So I don't I don't think it's worth fretting about just one. I mean, maybe you want to wait till you see about three of them before you start saying whether or not this is a trend that's emerging. But, you know, we are kind of living in like a Goldilocks economy of some sorts where we've got to be due for some sort of downturn at some point. And that's, that's scary to think about because man, I'd hate to see how Trump handles an economy that's not in good shape. He's been very been you know he's been the beneficiary of having a really good economy up until this point, which is really strange in that you describe generic President X 
as saying good economy, no major terrorist attacks, no foreign entanglements. Obviously, there's lots of scandals, but, you know, you, you put those three things on generic candidate X and that candidate or not candidate, sorry, president, although he is a candidate. I mean, he has declared for 2020, but you describe a, a president who will be running for reelection with those qualifications. And I bet you would expect to see job approval ratings in the high 60s. Um so that's kind of a strange situation that we're in right now. Um, Are you sure about no foreign entanglements, though? Well, what I meant is no... What I mean by no foreign entanglements is no prolonged, like, shooting wars. But... <laughs> I guess we could we could talk about why that might be the case as to why we're not in a high-profile shooting war... And, I mean, we could go down the path of saying why we might be drawing down troops in Syria or Afghanistan, but I think that's a whole episode in and of itself to talk about right. where that might be coming from. Um, But the reason I wanted to bring up the jobs report is because, you know, we're going to be getting into the the height and the, the heat, really, of what are these Democratic presidential candidates going to bring to the table? And I hope, you know, as we get into debates and moving forward, that they're at least put to the task of spelling out their vision of how to move the economy forward, which I guess, you know, every presidential candidate should have something along the lines of talking about that. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit in the I guess the second half of the show we're going to talk about go through the list of the candidates that have declared so so far and sort of at least give a very cursory glance as to how they might approach the economy um but before we get into that I think we should talk about the Cohen testimony um I tried to watch as much of it as possible i mean i eventually did get to watch all of it but i think what was most interesting to me and obviously you know this is colored by the fact that i have a little bit of experience in this area and the fact that i watched the russian active measures documentary the night before <laughs> um but i thought what was really interesting to me and Maybe we'll let this become our conspiracy theory hour. But I guess it's not a conspiracy theory if there's some factual basis behind why I think this. But um, I think AOC's line of questioning about Trump's inflating and deflating of real estate assets... There's a lot more than meets the eye about that particular situation. Now, let me explain. So, the question was framed that Trump was doing this in order to increase or decrease his insurance burden. And then, a second part of the questioning 
was about increasing or decreasing his tax burden on his golf courses. Now, golf courses are a little bit tricky, but condos, there's a pretty good way for you to inflate or deflate the value of a condo. And the way you do that is by actually selling it to a cash buyer. And knowing what we know about Trump's entanglements with, well, let's not even say Russians at this point, but unsavory characters, that's a pretty good uh, method by which to launder money. So, you know, throughout the testimony... Cohen was asked a couple of things about Russians in general. And, uh, you know, there were some more salacious things that he was asked about that he had to bat down because they really weren't true. Um, things about, like, him hitting Melania or whatever like that. I, di- I had never actually even heard of that. Had you heard about No, him? I, I'd never heard of that either. Yeah, I'd never heard any accusation that he had, that he was a, a beater of Melania. Um <laughs> <laughs> I should not be laughing, but just the way you said <laughs> As if it's some job title. This is some, some beater of Melania. But no, that, that totally came out of left field. Yeah. No, I mean, I, just, I had never heard of that before. But Trump does not seem like the physically abusive no, type. No, he, he's certainly not. Trump is... He's kind of a wimp. I Trump mean, and would not... When I, when I mean kind of... You mean totally. I mean, he just sits around and eats McDonald's. Right. <laughs> Trump would never physically hurt a fly. That's why he has to have, like, I mean, the, the fixers. Truth, the truth is she could beat him up. You oh, know, yeah. She's Melania in, is tough as hell. She's in much better shape. She works out. <laughs> she could beat him up. Trump would, does not work out. He wouldn't dare. No, he would not dare. He would not put a hand on her. And, you know, I guess that's... That's one positive thing we can say about Trump's character. I don't think he would hit any woman. I don't. I don't yeah, foresee no, that no, about no. him. He, he's not. He's not the type. Um, but going back to the Russians, uh, Cohen was asked the question, and man, it, I'm not going to go back through the, the transcript to try to find how this was phrased. But essentially, he was asked about like Russian collusion, and Cohen had to think about it, and he said, "You know, I wouldn't say collusion." And what I got from that is that Trump's businesses have just been so entangled with Russian, you know, customers, Russian clients, that it's not really like it wasn't like an odd thing to see that Russians were involved as he was gearing up for a presidential candidacy. And then once he was a candidate, it wasn't like something that was like, Vladimir Putin had to message Trump on Facebook and say, hey, I heard you're running for president. You know, it, it wasn't something that is going to necessitate some one event of a smoking gun time where there's this one message where Vladimir Putin all of a sudden decides that, you know, oh, better get in on this. Because, and the reason why I brought up the Active Measures documentary is because this thing has clearly been happening over decades correct and it's like a you know a slow a slow um a slow developing um you know grooming of 
a Russian asset, which I mean, that's that's the going theory, obviously. And there's lots of evidence for it, right? It's, but it's more than just a conspiracy theory. There, there's lots of paper trails for the money laundering, at the very least, right? And interesting, you should say paper trails, is well, because you know what I mean. Well, because here's the thing, is. I guess the next line of um, speculation is going to be that Trump is going to be investigated for insurance fraud or whatever. I'm not so sure that that's where this leads, that that's where that line of question led me to. Um, The reason is, and the reason I say I have a little bit of experience in this, is because, you know, you can value... A building, a condo, or any sort of real estate holding like that in a couple different ways. One of them would be the reconstruction cost of it, which would be kind of the most common way. The second way would be the market value of it. And as I was getting at, a good way to influence the market value of a condo is to actually just get people to buy and sell for cash actual units in the condo um and that would also coincidentally be a really hard to trace way of money laundering and second there was the question about you know inflating or deflating his assets for a tax burden now that to me is also a pretty suspect um method the reason is, is because if you think that New York City is just going to let someone tell them what the tax burden or what the, the value of a property should be, they're going to <laughs> they're going to send out an assessor. There's no way that this stuff just happens. Like Trump doesn't just say that his assets are X and no one looks at it, especially, you know, post 2007 2008 Dodd Frank um Dodd Frank put in all of these like third party oversight measures particularly for real estate and things like this where you can't just say that an asset is worth x so I don't know I mean to me that was a line of questioning that someone else I wish had picked up on and asked about whether or not there had been a third party involved to validate his asset claims. I mean the idea that he's just saying this stuff for Forbes is one thing but for tax purposes there's a really legitimate means by which he would have had to had someone come out and look at it. And if anyone had ever now, I imagine most of Trump's condos um, are probably so high-end that people are not typically using mortgages to buy them. But if someone ever had used a mortgage to try to purchase a condo, man, that would that would open it up to so much scrutiny because you would have to send an actual appraiser out and it would draw so many red flags for an appraiser to come into a condo and see one unit within like a one or two year span sell for this one stated value 
and then be resold again for another way higher or way lower value. That would draw so many red flags, and it would leave a pretty substantial paper trail. Um, so that's something that I think would be worth looking into. And, I mean, like I said, the, there's lots of stories out there about Trump Tower housing the Russian mob. Um, sort of like a gambling ring of some sort. <laughs> Interesting. There's also stories about it um, having some prostitution in there. Now, I should say that both of what I just said, mentioned previously, I guess it's somewhat unverified, but I think the gambling thing is pretty... Pretty um. Well, didn't they? Wasn't there like a high-profile arrest? Of- yeah, there were there were several arrests related to um, you know, just people who had ties to gambling or this or that, and who were living in Trump Tower at the time. But <laughs> I think what's interesting is, you know, if these people were running gambling rings. In Trump Tower, that's the perfect... That's also a second means by which to launder money. So, man, there's just lots of things about Trump's real estate holdings that... I think the what we're getting at now is, like, what of the, um, the subpoenas that Congress wants to send out, what sort of things are off-limits, and what sort of things are worth investigating? Uh... Robert Mueller knows, I'll tell you that. Robert Mueller certainly knows what's worth looking into. I think Congress and their duty to perform oversight, they've got to be a little careful with this because what's going to happen next time we have a Republican Congress and a Democratic candidate who's got whatever that they want to look into, it's setting us up the precedent to where 81 members can be uh, subpoenaed. You know, 81 people who have known them in the past can be subpoenaed to look into this or that. And so what I'm getting at is I don't know what Congress can actually uncover, to be fair. I think there's a lot of people who have been sent subpoenas related to the Trump organization or the Trump campaign or the Trump's past life who have a pretty good argument to say, hey, I'm just not going to answer anything you ask me. Um, Robert Mueller is going to get the answers out of them, obviously. But, you know, I I, kind of wonder at what point Congress might even just be stepping on Robert Mueller's toes and asking people things that they've already answered to the special counsel. Um. And then that leaves us with the point of where does the special counsel report go? Because it's not guaranteed that the public gets to see it. Right. But man, just it's just it's just been such a high profile thing that I don't think there's any way that Robert Mueller gets to s- submit that report anonymously. I don't I mean, see how I that could not. even happen. Um, I'm pretty sure Congress can subpoena Robert Mueller to go testify and basically just say, hey, just say everything that you found in your report in front of cameras. But the other thing about that is, you know, we're getting close to 2020. I think just politically speaking, 
Robert Mueller needs to be able to do his job without any pressures for, of a political timeline. I know that's, that's kind of an unpopular thing to say, considering how James Comey handled his situation with the Hillary Clinton emails and all of that. But, you know, Robert Mueller is clearly turning up skeletons. <laughs> I mean, I forgot how many, how many indictments have been handled handed down. I think we're up to somewhere in the 40s. That's a lot. And I always, you know, anyone who thinks this is a witch hunt or whatever word you want to describe it, I mean, just go back and look at that indictment of the Russian the Russian Internet Research Agency and, you know, the people who are acting as military operatives. If you don't think that that's an important thing, that that's an important um situation to be investigated by a body with the authority to look into the technical means by which this stuff was done the means by which a misinformation and information warfare campaign can be waged that's 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 serious business and i urge everyone to watch the documentary active measures now if you watch it and you're a trump supporter you're clearly going to see people who are like democratic operatives and you're going to think that it's a partisan hit job and it's and i mean i can't help you there i can't help you <laughs> see through the fact that you know democratic secretaries of state and intelligence officers talk in the documentary but the stuff that happened in ukraine it's settled fact i mean there's no like partisan American objective for us to take a side into how Putin handled Ukraine and how Manafort was brought on to be a an image maker in Ukraine for basically Putin's puppet. I mean, sorry to say it, but it's, it's not really a hidden fact at this point. So all that to say is that the Russia investigation it is important. It's very important that it be done thoroughly and without any um, interference or without, and I hate to say it, but without Congress kind of like asking questions that endangers the investigation to something that they may not be aware of. But yeah, so that, that was my takeaway was that I think Michael Cohen's testimony brought up something that... Trump is not out of the woods at all for he keeps saying that there was no collusion and Cohen's testimony and the judge in Manafort's recent trial said no that he wasn't being charged for collusion all that stuff should not be um should not be the, the sideshow of the main attraction which is that Russians are heavily involved in American politics, you know, and dirtying up some behind-the-scenes stuff that I think if the, the more reluctant public were more aware of it, I don't think they would be very happy to know how this all works. Moskau, doch werde ich wirklich.
but we are coming up pretty quickly on another election. And I think what's interesting about this election is that there there's clearly a a machine in the works already to gin up a nice boogeyman for Trump to run against. And that would be socialism. Um, but what I find really interesting about this whole field is that when I look at it and I look at the number of candidates who are running for the Democratic nomination, I mean, it, it's it seems to me to be setting up really nicely for Bernie Sanders to win the presidential nod or well the democratic candidacy nod simply because he's going to benefit from kind of like the trump effect in 2016 or 2015 in the republican primary where there was just so many candidates and he's the loudest and most recognizable one he's the loudest and the most recognizable and he's got like such a steady base that's I mean okay so let's look through the candidate list okay I hate it (laughs) I just hate it it is kind of tiresome to look at it but let's see so we've got 16 candidates who have officially declared that they're going to run um 16 obviously including Donald Trump and Bill Weld so 14 Democratic candidates I guess so we've got Cory Booker Pete Buttigieg, um, Castro, who's this Delaney? John Delaney. <laughs> who's this Delaney? We've got Tulsi Gabbard. We've got Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, got Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, I still have no clue who this lady is. Marion Williamson. Is that the Oprah? What's? Oh, I think that. <laughs> what's that, her situation? That might be the lady that was involved she's, with Oprah. Yeah, she's some. She. Okay, here's her. <laughs> she's a self-help author, New Age lecturer. Here's her tagline: We need a moral and spiritual awakening in the country. Nothing short of that is adequate to fundamentally change the patterns of our political dysfunction. I'm embarrassed just listening to that. <laughs> We've got Andrew Yang, who I think is it's pretty interesting. And I think that's it as far as who's officially put their stake in the ground. And then you've got Joe Biden, who's likely. Um, you've got Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana. I don't think I know a whole lot about this guy. And you've got Eric Swalwell, who I urge to certainly not run. Uh, he's got no lane. Um, but here's the deal. If you like, if you're a Democrat, a registered Democratic voter, and you lean pretty far left, there's there's no bigger champion of your ideals than Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, am I wrong in this? No. I mean, you could make the case that... He's been shoved down everyone's throat so much. You can make the case that Elizabeth Warren also occupies that lane. 
Yeah, but she's not a fashion statement like Bernie Sanders Right. Is. I mean, she's not nearly as exciting of a quantity as Bernie Sanders is. People don't who... have stupid mugs and t-shirts and bumper stickers with stupid slogans about Elizabeth Warren. And she's also got the Native American thing going against her, which, I mean, <laughs> what a stupid scandal. It's an awful scandal. Um, and it's it's really not something that anyone should care about. And, I mean, honestly, if I had to choose between the two, I would clearly choose Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she's... She's... Seems to be, like... Has Bernie Sanders' um... You know, sort of his ideological bent. But she's also seems to be more um, informed as to how to get economic <laughs> policy ginned up. But... Like I'm saying, I mean, we've got 14 candidates here. Tulsi Gabbard is not going to make it past the first round of voting. I mean, she's got no lane whatsoever. Kamala Harris is pretty interesting. I mean, she's got, you know, in the Democratic Party, minority appeal is a pretty big thing. Um, So she's got that working in her favor. I guess Cory Booker does as well. I don't really see him having a big shot. I don't know. Um, he doesn't excite me in the way that people are trying to pretend that he should be as exciting as he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at it. You've got such a broken vote here of like far left and then middle left. (laughs) And then you've got your centrists like Hickenlooper and... I guess Buttigieg kind of falls in the center, but he, I mean, he's slightly left of center as well. And then if Joe Biden gets in, he's obviously the big dog in the center. But Bernie Sanders is going to scrape by where it's going to be like the winner of each of these primaries is going to win with 36% of the vote or something. And, I mean, I know in America more options is the American way. But I sort of see this coming out, I mean, way early prognostication, okay? But I sort of see this coming out as to where Bernie Sanders emerges as the nominee in a pretty broken Democratic field where maybe he's kind of like a pretty easy target. I mean, like I said, the the misinformation uh, machine is gearing up and they've been waiting for the socialist boogeyman to emerge. And as much as I dislike Bernie Sanders and everything that he stood for in the well, everything that his supporters stood for in the 2016 election, the only thing that I will be happy about to test if he is the candidate, is this claim that he would be able to beat Trump. I that, agree. That was, that was the obsession with his supporters. Oh, well, Bernie Sanders would have certainly been able to beat Trump. Hillary couldn't do it. No one else could do it. But Bernie Sanders, sure, he could beat him. And I, I always doubted that. Because the moment you say socialism to people who watch Fox News, what happens? (laughs) And you know what else is... They can't handle it. 
I'm sure I've got I'm sure we've got Bernie supporters who listen to this. And so I'm sure they're going to vehemently disagree with me. But that's okay. I mean, we're here for disagreement. But I think Hillary Clinton's campaign as as just a campaign, you know, just Hillary Clinton's campaign, I think they took it very easy on Bernie Sanders as far as mudslinging goes. I mean, I just say that as someone who also followed the Republican campaign at the same time. I don't think there was a lot of dirty tactics on her par- on her campaign's part, okay? Now, you could say that the DNC robbed Bernie Sanders or whatever. That's a totally different argument, okay? But Hillary Clinton's campaign in and of itself, I don't think that she played it very hard on Bernie Sanders and because obviously she couldn't. I mean, it was just her and him towards the end of the thing where, I mean, the other two people were some guy who said he killed someone in Vietnam and smiled about it. I forgot who that guy's name was. And then there was, man, who was that guy? Lincoln Chafee, I think his name was. And then there was a guy who was the governor of Maryland or something. I've forgotten who both of them were. That's what I'm saying is, I mean, there were four candidates. Right. And that's what this is going to be like. Well, no, no, no. This, it's going to be the total opposite of this. No, I mean, like, we already forgot who those two were. And by the end of this, we're going to forget about this whole crowd of 500 people. Well, somebody in this crowd is going to throw mud. No way. No way that of these 14, okay, maybe it's going to be this dark horse, Miss Williamson, is gonna say Bernie Sanders <laughs> is this, not good for the spirit of the country. Self help. Yeah, <laughs> maybe she's gonna write a self help book about how you shouldn't vote for Bernie Sanders or something. But what I'm saying is, I don't see. I mean, okay, we said we weren't gonna talk about it, but let's at least briefly talk about it. The congresswoman who made the remarks about Israel and APAC. The Democrats can't figure out how to message it. They're fighting amongst themselves about how do we handle messaging this one small, one congresswoman's statements. How screwed up is it that you let the Republican Party, the Jews will not replace us sympathizers, get away with a victory on anti-Semitism? It makes no sense whatsoever. When people in the Republican Party do offensive things, they just turn a blind eye to it. They act like it didn't happen. So, I mean, what's the deal? Like, why is it that... Why are we in this situation? Because the Democrats... I mean, that's... I guess AOC said something along these lines. I don't have her exact quote. But I, I think it was kind of a good point where she's like, you know, we are the most diverse party more diverse than any party has ever been. And so obviously with that, we're going to have a bunch of people who have way different opinions about things and different views on things. And maybe we're kind of just learning. I don't know. I mean, she didn't say it like that, but you're learning how to be inclusive of different opinions. But the point remains is that that does not translate well to the national audience when you're running a presidential campaign. So every time that Democrats in in Congress come up with some, you know, pretty weird, 
weird or wild idea or weird or wild statement about this or that or about this policy or that policy, the presidential candidates are going to have to answer for it. And I said this when Trump got elected and the Republicans took control of both branches of Congress. And I said, don't be too worried. They're going to start fighting amongst each other. And they did. I mean, power, once you have power within, you know, one or two branches of government, you always just start fighting amongst each other. And I think it's going to be, it's going to put an even harder onus on the Democrats right now because they're kind of like the opposition party within Congress. And then they're trying to put a president into the White House. And I think it's hard to square it. And get and that's why I brought up Trump's job report earlier. It's hard to square it as to say, hey, we're the opposition party in Congress. We're trying to put a president in the White House. But at the same time, eh, job job, you know, the jobs aren't so bad. The economy's not doing so bad. So how do you square that? I don't know. I mean, that's why I I kind of worry. And I, I kind of think, you know, you get someone who's really far left like Bernie Sanders in there. And look, the CBO, Congressional Budgeting Office, I'm just saying it right now. They're not going to be kind to any far left. And I don't mean far left as a derogative term. I mean, I have some pretty far left ideals myself. But they're not going to be very kind in their scoring to any sort of Medicare for all, any sort of major Green New Deal. I mean, you're already seeing it right now where some offices are coming out with like a multi-trillion dollar price tag. All I'm saying is that when when push comes to shove and Bernie Sanders is on that microphone and he's asked about... Oh, well, recent estimates have said that your proposals will cost $35 trillion over the next 10 years. Meanwhile, the economy is doing fairly well. How do you square this to everyday Americans who may lose their jobs? I mean, how do you? How do you say we've got this bigger overarching goal as to how we might improve the Medicare system, but in the meanwhile you know, structural unemployment might happen because it will. I mean, there's no, there's no way where you transition major parts of our economy, especially our healthcare economy to a socialist vision without thousands, possibly millions of job, either losses or, you know, retraining. And so that's kind of why I'm interested in seeing these two Dark Horse underdog candidates, Buttigieg and Yang. Because Yang, I know, has some sort of, like, technical background. I think he's a a developer of some sort, like a software developer. And Buttigieg is a mayor. Now, to me, I think, you know, there's, like, offices that are equivalent to being a president. And I think being a mayor and a governor are more equivalent to being president than being a congressman or a senator is. 
I mean, that's, that's, it's just because, that's just the honest truth. I mean, you may know a lot as a senator about how the government works, but once you become president, you're now managing data. You're now managing the flow of operations of many departments. You're now making decisions as to about like, oh, I'm going to, this one thing I've got this program for, but I've got to budget it from this department or that department. And obviously you may know about these things as a senator, but it doesn't affect you in the same way where being a governor or a mayor does, where if you make that decision wrong, you find out about it fairly quickly. So that's why I think it's pretty interesting. That's why I think Pete Buttigieg is a pretty interesting name to keep an eye on for the as this process goes forward. Plus, he is the most well-spoken presidential candidate I've heard in my lifetime. Which one? Pete Buttigieg. I'm going to have to listen to him. I, I haven't mean, heard anything about him yet. He's 37. He's a military veteran. Um, he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And from what I understand, everyone in South Bend loves the guy, which is a pretty good accolade. I mean, I don't know how big South Bend is compared to Memphis. I'm sure it's quite a bit smaller because Memphis, Memphis is kind of big. But I'm sure it's not like a tiny city, right? I'm sure it's not like, you know, some small little 10,000 person hovel. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to get that sort of positive press being the mayor of it, it probably means he's presided over some good developments. So, like I said, keep an eye on him. I'm kind of interested in the software developer guy. The software developer guy is so interesting. I mean, he's got no shot. I hadn't heard of him at all until now. He's got now. no shot. But, that I mean, to me, this is the thing. I mean, this is what I can't square myself. And this is why I'm going to get in so many arguments with the far left throughout this process, I'm sure. I mean, it's all good. But we need people who understand... Data data in the future <laughs> and you know what's coming at us okay there is this concept in economics and it's called time sensitive diseconomies of scale basically what this means sorry time compressed diseconomies of scale basically what this means is that you cannot spend money and over the course of, you know, one period of time and, and expect to catch up with a company that has been in business for a way longer period of time. And that's, that was a really bad way of describing it, but let me give you a real-life example of this. Um, the ultimate example of time compression diseconomies of scale is the heavy equipment manufacturer Caterpillar. So Caterpillar after World War II was pretty much the, you know, the only heavy equipment manufacturer. And so the United States government basically just said, Caterpillar, you know, you're the only one we've got. Go out and we're going to lease you out all over the world. And so over that period of time, there wasn't really any um, competition for Caterpillar, so they were pretty much operating as a monopoly then, but it was a monopoly that no one could really conceive the challenge. 
And that in and of itself wasn't a problem. But Caterpillar, over this course of exploiting their monopoly, um, got to develop so many international relationships that as technology moved forward and, you know, you could conceive of competitors, no one really could compete because Caterpillar had, you know, just conquered so many means of transportation, so many, you know, good relationships in all of these countries. So it became like somewhat of a natural monopoly. And, you know, we, I use the example of, of Caterpillar because it's, it's a pretty obvious one, but there are more not so obvious examples of how this really affects the way that economic inequality works in a nation such as America or any other developed nation where people have had so much time to access and exploit and really like further develop intellectual property or you know even real property like real estate holdings where basically that comes up to the point where the rich get richer so you know we've got a congress full of veritable dinosaurs <laughs> we've got a president who's how old is lamar alexander man i think he's close to 80 <laughs> and we've got a president who's also close to 80 i mean yeah. 76 something like trump that trump is I mean, old as hell yeah people don't realize that trump is old <laughs> and i mean some of these people can't really even operate computers i mean that's not i'm not saying that as a joke it's really a known fact that AOC had to hold a seminar to teach these people how to use Twitter. <laughs> um, and the reason I bring that up is because, you know, those are just like fanciful examples of where the people who make the rules for the rest of us lag behind in the technology that's that we as society have to interact with. So we need to get people making decisions really understand what the new society looks like otherwise we'll have you know incumbent industries basically just saying to whatever politician they choose hey here's how we see it here's what we need to do to keep us around here's what we need to do to keep us competitive etc etc and here's a bunch of money to make sure that Here, happens and here's a bunch of money to make sure that happens and the politician will know nothing better uh, so that's you know as we evaluate whatever congressman or senator or president going forward uh i would i i could look it up right now i'm sure i could and see how many of them are lawyers i'm sure it's above 80 percent Where's the rest of life? Right. Where are the scientists? Where are the software developers? Where are the, you know, the workers? You know, Where... it's, it's official. I'm team Yang now. <laughs> I, I may have just gave him a profile above what he really has. I know he said something about being a software developer. I am team Yang, officially. But you Let's know look what? it up. Let's find out. Even if you're not team Yang... You should be theoretically team someone who knows about the same technology that is the highest valued companies that you're going to have to deal with throughout your day-to-day -day life. Because, you know, if you spend 60% of your life interacting with this or that company, 
and you have and your politicians have no clue how this or that company even exists or how what technologies it needs to flourish or what monopolies it's exploiting then you're not being advocated for because all of america i mean one of the founding principles about america is you know private property ownership intellectual property ownership all of these things but we've come to a point where the rich are exploiting this sometimes at the detriment of expanding inequality so if we're ever going to revisit some of the more fundamental ways that we handle private property intellectual property you know distribution of this or that how long can you exploit a patent maybe we should have someone who really understands the impacts of things like that okay so uh andrew yang he graduated with a phd in physics from, good enough for me. From Berkeley. I'm sold. Yeah, Done. Yeah, good enough for Done. me. Done. <laughs> good enough for me. He's got a master's in statistics. He also wants to give everyone $1,000 a month. He later became an artist. What's his master's in? What's his PhD? Statistics? PhD in physics, master's in statistics. That's all you need. Honestly, look, I don't know anything other about Andrew... Andrew or While Trump is trying to threaten people not to release his SAT scores. Right. I don't know anything else about Yang other than what Kelly just said. But let me tell you, if you get the chance to vote for someone who has a graduate degree in statistics, do it. Because your whole government is statistics. That's all it is. I mean, that's how you run any organization. Ask any organization right now, you know, who are you trying to hire? You know who they're looking for? People with degrees in statistics. You might not have a cute slogan like feel the burn, but you know what? You know He's what? He's fucking brilliant. Feel the yang. <laughs> <laughs> feel the yang. I mean, I don't know how I on, look, we didn't start out like We didn't start out with this podcast hoping that we would endorse anyone. I I didn't we didn't have that conversation. And honestly, I didn't even think we were going to talk about him. He, his name was at the end of the list. I didn't know him at all until just now. But I, I love him. But I'm dead serious about this. Like statistics and knowing about, you know, the mathematical, the quantifiable, the technological. He also worked in the healthcare industry for many years. Good enough. I mean, what are we having problems with? Okay. This is where we fail. Okay. What are we having problems with as a society? Healthcare statistical distribution of wealth you know those sorts of things so what are we going to vote for yeah bernie sanders donald trump uh uh you know a crony croniest real estate developer who potentially failed and laundered money through his developments so you know i just think of it like this whenever it was important in the early ages of mankind that we have someone who could protect us with physical might we elected warrior kings whenever it became important that people you know command various moving portions of a kingdom we you know we coronate it <laughs> well i guess we shouldn't say we elect it right but we chose to follow people who we're able to mobilize important relationships to but keep 
the wars of the future are not fought with physical might, but intellectual might. Not only that, but the societies of the future are not going to be built around having armies to begin with. That, I mean, that too. The the societies of the future are going to be moving towards getting rid of the slack and the inefficiencies that you know, otherwise more intelligent members of society who should be leaders, quite frankly, could have otherwise figured out ways and technological means to help us move past. I mean, we we rely on technology for pretty much every other part of our life. I mean, you build a house using materials technology. You drive your car every day with the highest materials technology um, available to you. Um, navigation technology powers your cell phones. Um, you use a computer every day. So whenever it comes down to like the human data science of how do we maximize what human resources need to help people or how do we, or maybe even the science tells us that we need to cut back here or there, you know, that could, that's easily some conclusion that you can get from someone who understands technology is that maybe we should cut spending here. You know, that's, it's not a foregone conclusion that just because you have someone who understands how to advance the processes of government that it's it's going to equate to more government spending, right? It could be more efficient, and that's what we should be moving towards, is more efficiency in government. And we're not going to get that by continuously electing prosecutors, lawyers, um, career politicians. I hate to use that term, but it's true. Um, you know, we're not going to get that from people whose sole purpose in being president is that it's just the next step in their... Uh, you know, political ladder, or that they've got, you know, some somewhat artificial movement behind them that isn't asking for enough detail as to how they're going to do oh, it. Oh, sorry. Um, he also is a lawyer. He's everything. Well, you know what? He's everything. <laughs> He's not just the lawyer. I'm reading more into him. He also uh, attended Columbia Law School and became a lawyer. Well, statistics still. Anyway, I, th I mean, we, we've got an hour, you know, we're, we're at about an hour now. So is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up? I mean, did we go through all of the presidential candidates? I think we did. Briefly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still early and that's the thing is I don't remember how early it was that I guess 2016 was a little bit different in that there was no incumbent. So, you know, those fields had to start developing a little bit earlier. Um, But I, I still think it's a little bit early to really have a bead on where this is going to go. I think John Hickenlooper is another name to keep an eye on. Uh, Former governor of Colorado, so... He's got the weed boost behind him. He was the governor <laughs> when weed was legalized there. And I mean, look, I am, I could do a whole show on what I think about weed legalization. And we really might. But I can't think of another issue that is more politically, like, bipartisanly popular than legalizing weed. 
It's true. I think both sides of the aisle, you're going to find really substantial support for being the governor who legalized weed. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on him. I'm honestly for the hard-to-pronounce ticket where you get Hickenlooper as the president and Buttigieg as the VP. It'll take up your entire bumper <laughs> to, get, to get that on there. So I'm for that. Um, and, you know, I actually... I've, I've got no uh, qualms about either of those. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, like I said, she's going to be out after the first round of voting. I think she's got political... She had some problematic comments about Syria, am yeah, I correct? That's yeah. not going to fly. That is not... I, I'd be surprised if she gets 1% of the vote. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand took out Al Franken. Yeah, so, I, uh, I will never forget. I got my her. knives out for her. But you know, <laughs> something really that people don't really talk about, um, Harris, Kamala Harris also had a part in that, in taking out Al Franken. Well, I mean, once the... once the It wasn't uh, as big of a part as Kirsten Gillibrand, but well, she also... Well, the, once the ball got rolling, you couldn't get in front of it and try to stop it at that point. So, I don't know. God, I... Yeah. I still feel sick when I think about what they did to him. But you know, okay, so one thing, and we he made, was he was going to be a a major player. In, oh yeah, in the twenty twenty election, like he was, he had a book that had just come out. He was on all these talk shows. People were there was a lot of buzz about Al Franken, and he's he's funny, but that's not the main qualification, obviously. But he's very charismatic, and he's very 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 smart. You know what, though? You say that him being funny isn't the main thing. America needs to lighten the fuck well, up. Well, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's a big thing for me, but... I, I think America <laughs> is, like, so... Um, taking itself so goddamn seriously at this point. And for Al no Franken, reason... We're... Al Franken would just... He would. He would lighten up this whole dark situation we're in. And yeah. he, he's just become irrelevant. And it's really sad. And he was taken out for no good reason, other than the fact that Kirsten Gillibrand and Kamala Harris want to be president. Yeah. That's why they took they him out. They want to grandstand on and use him as a martyr. And then you've got Amy Klobuchar, who's got her salad problems, <laughs> her, her comb problems, which is really impressive. I don't know how you eat a salad with a comb, but I kind of want visual evidence of it. Um, I, I just want to know, like, how... What kind of comb was it? Because really flexible comb is not going to pierce the salad correctly. And you're going to not get any of the dressing on it. So I don't know. What kind of comb was she using? It had to have been like one of those ones with like the handle on it. And it's like really sturdy, like the tortoiseshell comb or something. Hmm. Possibly. Yeah, it wasn't like some greaser comb like I've got. <laughs> like it's, the, the the teeth aren't big enough to pick up a salad with that. But um, let's see who else we've got here. Jay Inslee, I remember him. Um, I think he was the first to make the challenge to Donald Trump's executive order about the uh the immigrant ban. Or the Muslim ban, sorry. I remember I remember him being really high profile in that. So he's got a pretty good um he's got a pretty good balance of being like 
kind of moderate and kind of to the left. So it'd be interesting to watch how he comes out. You know who I'm sad about not running? Bloomberg. Yeah. You know, so back to our discussion about putting experts in places of power. Uh, Man, <laughs> I don't know anyone who I would think of as knowing more about business than Bloomberg. Right. The guy... The mayor of New York City... I don't know if many people know this, but you can get what's called the Bloomberg certification. It's, it's named after him. But what it is is basically is a class you can take to learn how to run a trading platform. And, you know, it's a pretty intuitive software where you can see different, you know, different markets. Um, but what other presidential candidate is going to have that? I don't know. But, you know, he told the truth about Medicare for All and people cried about it, so he's out. Right, and that's a good point. Is He how told much, the truth. How much truth is the Democratic Party willing to handle? They're not willing to handle a lot. It looks like they just want to all be fashion statements like Bernie Sanders. Because here's, and maybe this is the same truth he told, but here's the truth about getting rid of private insurance in the medical the meta the healthcare system. It's not gonna happen. Okay? Private insurance is not going away without structurally unemploying tens of thousands of people. So that's a pretty uh it's a pretty stark hard truth to accept. Um and then you've got Cory Booker, you know, we'll see how he plays out. But Cory Booker needs to stop talking about meat. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't want I don't want to get into the vegan issue. I mean, yeah. He's not a healthcare professional. He has no business talking about that. He's I I'm concerned that his possible B12 deficiency might make him unstable mentally. <laughs> so, I mean <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to get on on my anti-vegan uh, soapbox here, but he he just needs to be quiet about meat and talk about the real issues. You know, on that note of the B12 <laughs> deficiency, being president and running for president has got to be beyond more stressful. Right, than and when I you have a B12 of. deficiency, it predisposes you to anxiety and depression. So I hope he's getting his monthly B12 shots. And not that. <laughs> He has a B12 deficiency, B12 deficiency, but Bernie Sanders is pretty old. And I know it's not something that should be a disqualifier from being president. I mean, being old, you know, we should probably want an old president in most cases. But, you know, I mean, Bernie Sanders is already a kind of mean asshole. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how is he going to handle the, the pressures of being the first outward socialist president we'll see how that goes with a congress that is not going to help him do anything and that okay so the whole reason i wanted to bring this up i forgot my whole point and we went off on a whole tangent but the reason that i brought up that bernie sanders might win a fractured primary with 30 percent of the vote is that i think we have pretty solid evidence that People who run to the far left 
are not, and I'm not talking about presidents here, I'm talking about senators and congressmen, are not shoe-ins to win their elections. And I, I think the track record is, is that they pretty much underperform in places where they should have won. So, that being said, let's say Bernie Sanders wins the presidential nod, he's, and he's our president in 2020. I think we end up with four years of nothing getting done. Because unless the Democrats come up with a whole field worth of people who are firmly to the left, as far left as Bernie Sanders is, you know, the way that our budgets work here is Congress controls the purse strings. So Bernie Sanders could come up with whatever you know, system that he wants to handle this or that Medicare for all. If the CBO comes back and says that this thing is going to cost us a couple trillion dollars in one year, it's not going to happen. And so his main campaign promises are going to die in Congress. That's another thing I would like to see tested. Cause I always said that everything Bernie Sanders wanted was unfeasible and and well, people were just, well, I mean, for one man to do, it's just, and it's such a short period of time is totally unfeasible. And it would be really interesting to see this play out for his supporters who are <laughs> somewhat brainwashed that all this is yeah. possible. Yeah. And I mean, and I hate to say that too, right? I hate to like be an anti-visionary, but you know, I mean... I mean, there's We're, nothing wrong with having vision, but you also have to be practical. Like, right. what what can we actually do? What what is possible? And I just saw this before we started the show, but AOC is at South by Southwest right now, as is I'm sure every single Democrat who wants to be anything. <laughs> um, and I saw a, a visual or a, a small clip of her saying. Oh, well, if you're a moderate, you're just like, hmm. But if you don't have a vision, you know, how are you going to get anything done by just tinkering around the edges? Real easy for someone who is a one singular congresswoman from the Bronx, okay, who is probably not going to ever face a decent challenge for her seat. Real easy for her to say that. But... You know, we, we're a nation of 50 states, and everyone's got two senators. We've got, I'm sure she's learning this by now, a Congress full of people who don't necessarily agree with her, plus an entire executive branch of offices that have to function right. in a number of different ways. So for Bernie Sanders to accomplish everything that he promised, he would basically have to become Emperor Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's the truth. Like, and that's when the... you when you support Bernie Sanders and believe, truly believe that he can give you all this stuff that other people don't agree with at all, then you're basically, you're the other side of the Trump coin. Yeah, not only that, but you're also kind of giving in to some of the worst impulses of means by which to attack socialism. 
right? That's the whole thing is like, oh, the state is going to dictate to you how, where you can go to school, where you can go to a doctor. And most of that is actually not really the way that this stuff is imagined how it'll work. But in the fact that in order for a socialist president to do anything, he would basically have to act out in executive fiat, right? He would just have to declare um, either a national emergency here, like Trump is doing for the wall, um, and say that healthcare is a national emergency, or you would have to write a bunch of executive orders, and that's not the way this country should be working, okay? And it's not really, you know, even if it were for the best cause you can imagine and the president had to write an executive order to do it, that's not really the most efficient way that you should want it to be done anyway. You should want a president to be able to formulate a vision that is so clearly delineated, so clearly run through the numbers, and so clearly, you know, presented through all of the bodies of Congress as to how it's going to be carried out that people buy into it and not just King Sanders saying... Medicare for all, here's my executive order. You know, that's not really how we want to get there. And, and I, I would just like to say one last thing. Um, unlike the Bernie bros who threw a tantrum when Bernie Sanders was not the nominee and decided, oh, well, if I can't vote for my guy, then I'm just not going to vote at all because um, what I want is more important than what's good for the country. Well... I'm not going to do that as much as I I dislike Bernie Sanders. And I know that he's not going to deliver. Like I, I know he's not capable of delivering on all that stuff. At least he's not (laughs) a freaking moron like Trump. Yeah. He's, he's certainly not a moron. I'll tell you that. Um, he believes I would, I would vote for Bernie Sanders after all the negative stuff I've said, I'm not going to be a spoiled brat and I would vote for him. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting out the election in protest because um, Trump's got to go. I mean, I hate to say that because I'm sure we have people who listen to this who are not partisan. And I don't know if they've thought that we were partisan or not if they don't know us. I don't know if they, they've been coasting along through our episodes and still haven't pegged us. But look, here's the deal. Yes, there are some positive economic indicators the North Korea thing is probably not as near of a win as people think it is. And in fact, as we sit here today, I'm pretty sure there's um, some evidence that they're gearing up for another missile launch. Am I glad that he talked to North Korea? Mm, yeah, but he gave them a win that they had been wanting for decades <laughs> right. and got nothing in return for it. So, you know, all of these positive things that we can attribute to Trump, any Republican president would have done. I mean, tax cuts would have happened no matter if you had had Marco Rubio as your president. You wouldn't have had all of the scandal that came along with it, though. And, look, here's the deal. People talked about Obama's Obama running up the deficit even though he was a wartime president. So, you know, take that for what you will. But the deficit is skyrocketing under Trump. Yeah, no one cares. You know, there's... I mean, okay, 
no one on Fox News cares. And by the way, I watch Fox News every night at the gym. It's always playing on at least three of the TVs at the gym I go to in Nashville. And so I, I watch Fox News every night. So there is a... Sp- and they don't care about this. Well, they used to. <laughs> they they, used they to, don't. They used to run a counter on the bottom of, the bottom right corner of the show saying what our deficit was. They, I'm sure they don't do that anymore. But there, there is a school of thought. And actually, I mean, this isn't like a really unpopular thought. But a deficit in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, we have to deficit spend to get some things done. However... The problem is is when the payments on the deficit, especially when the interest rate rises, when the payments on the deficit become such a large portion of discretionary spending that we're not able to finance most of the other things that the government wants to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming more of a problem. And, you know, how big can that problem get before it becomes too big of a problem? I don't think anyone has the exact number on that. Um, and you know, we, we're seeing the stock market at numbers where people are like, oh, look at it. We never thought the stock market would get this high. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, what you did was you cut the taxes for corporations and billionaires and millionaires so that people could just buy, companies could just buy their own stock. Any company if, if given the chance, is going to buy their own stock back so that they have more ownership of their company. This shouldn't be that, you know, that hard of a concept to see why that happened once the tax cuts came in. It does not necessarily translate to any other broader metric of, um, you know, spreading wealth to the rest of the country. Now, I will say this. Jobs have been... job. Reports have been largely positive since Trump has been in office. But they were also positive in really the last two years of Obama's being in office. GDP, I would say don't get too caught up in that. Um, I think it's coming in slightly less than 3%. You know, that's pretty average. (laughs) Uh, So the major thing is that as we're going to move society on forward, we need larger goals as a country. We need larger things to sink our teeth into and to feel unified behind. And especially, you know, some of the largest booms in our nation's history have been whenever, like, either a new technology or a whole new infrastructure plan has been put into place. So that's... You know, the infrastructure part of that. That's why I think, you know, we shouldn't be so cynical about the Green New Deal and what it represents. We obviously need to rebuild the way that we transport ourselves throughout this country. We obviously need to try to think about the way that we power, you know, derive our energy from some parts of this country. Because fossil fuels, you know, some parts of the country are dependent upon it, but other parts of the country uh, are kind of like, they're dependent upon the fact that we're dependent upon fossil fuels, if that makes any sense. You know, they're, they're, 
they're totally open for different ways of doing this. And I think America should be all about options. So, you know, if there is some grand scheme of an infrastructure spending plan that is slightly towards what the Green New Deal laid out, I would say don't be so dismissive of it. I mean, we're not getting rid of people's cows, you know? (laughs) That's not really what's going to happen. We're not knocking planes out of the sky. We're certainly not retrofitting every single building in America. I mean, I will fight tooth and nail to say how stupid uh, and how unfeasible that really is. Um, However, like I said... And the last time we talked about this, there is already a way by which if you buy a new home, you can roll the cost of repairs and retrofitting into it. And so maybe we look at expanding the 203K program. Maybe we look at giving grants to low-income communities as to where they can retrofit their houses and do that in some other, you know, through some combination of other departments. But, you know, America... We, we've we just been so caught up in the muck of partisan rancor and what's anti-Semitic today, what is, who's socialist today, who is um the Instagram star today. Then we've got a president who is just chock full of scandals and, you know, obviously they're going to report on it. And it just drives us further and further apart. And as that's happening, I think there is a common ground in America where if the vision were put forward to say, here's what America could be. Here's some things that, you know, we could gear our education and our infrastructure systems for. I think it would be pretty popular and I think it would move us into a more prosperous future overall. I agree completely. The science, health, and infrastructure party, right? It all comes back to science, health, and infrastructure. I mean, because think about it. What do you want to run a society around? Science, health, and infrastructure or, I don't know, Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm Team Yang. Team Yang. Feel the Yang. Feel the Yang. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. We made it through. We will be back in connection. Get down in 3D. Light year group. Well, all right. Hear the noise. Ain't nobody but me and the boy. Get down.